It's the, the, the human interactions that's the human side is the most important piece. It, it's, it's what my specialty is. And, and now that I do corporate counterintelligence, I, my specialty is the human side. It's helping companies to understand that it's their humans are both their greatest strength and their greatest weakness. If you don't empower them and you don't train them, then they can be your greatest weakness. If they're empowered and trained, then they become naturally intelligent sensors that can observe the environment, report back into the system, and, and we can develop a picture of what's happening and counter any potential threats. More than 90% of data breaches are caused by, or, or have, go back to a human. There's a human cause. That's Kent Kilsby, a former CIA case officer and expert in credibility assessment. I'm Jason Blair. This is the Silver Linings Handbook bonus episode. This is a bonus episode that was a part of a YouTube live conversation we had with our March 2023 guest, Kent Kilsby, a former CIA case officer and expert in credibility assessment. In this bonus, we discuss some of the questionable interrogation methods that have led to false confessions Myths About Detecting Deception, Kent's new book called Holistic Contextual Credibility Assessment, How You Can Assess Credibility in Your Everyday Life, Machine Learning and AI in Deception Detecting, and Why a Street Kid from Baltimore Might Make the Best CIA Case Officer. In the full-length episode available on our YouTube channel, We also discuss case studies Kent covers in his book involving our failures to detect double agents from East Germany and Cuba, some of the challenges that the CIA faces in hiring people with street smarts, why institutions and agencies have a hard time giving up on some of the myths around deception detection found in places like the television show Lie to Me. I want to give a special thanks to our listeners for their great comments and their great questions. What's really cool is I already have uh, some listener questions uh, that have already come in, but I'm going to go ahead and get started just by Asking a little, you know, mentioning the interesting story of how we first met. It was back in August 2009. Um, I was working as a life coach in Ashburn, Virginia, newly rebuilding my life after the time scandal. And, you know, I get this email. And at first, I'm like, this is spam, clearly. Or this is someone trying to punk me. Or what kind of what kind of scam is this? But if you want to go ahead and tell the story, you tell it much better than I do. <laughs> well, I, so I was sending spam one day, and I thought I'd... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I... I oh, sorry, Jason. That explains uh, a lot. I, of- I, was, I was working at, uh, for a, a company that we were doing training for defense intelligence agency, uh, human intelligence collectors. I had just taken over a module in that long course on deception detection. It was it was a mess. And as we'll, we, you'll probably hear from me later in this uh, discussion that uh, U.S. government deception detection is generally speaking absolutely horrible. Uh, it's worse than horrible. And the, the track record goes back decades and decades and they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, not learning from from mistakes. Uh, but I took over the deception detection module, and it had been 
taught by a, an FBI agent who is now very prominent in deception detection and has got his PhD in psychology or, or something. Oh, Eckler? I'm, I'm not going to mention any okay. names. <laughs> no name, any names. <laughs> and uh, he was he was just filling these poor kids, uh, poor students with with nonsense uh, talking about uh i mean he he would do just he I gave sort of demonstrations i sat in his courses as i was taking it over and it was just really really bad he would at, at the end of of this module with, that he was teaching they would go away with nothing useful for their jobs their jobs were to go out and meet people and assess them of and and recruit them as sources of foreign intelligence, and to do that, you're face to face with someone, having a discussion, talking to them, getting to know them, and um, nothing that the bureau th th traditionally uses has any any relevance to that that sort of skill set and that sort of intelligence human intelligence cycle. So because I started. The bureau, the bureau is really focused on investigating things, interviewing, well, well, interrogation, yeah, interrogating, interrogations. Really, you know what what they're using. You know they, what they think they're they're doing. A deception detection is uh, they sit down with someone, even if the person's not under arrest. They they've already flashed their badge, flashed their gun, and said they're from the FBI. So whether you're innocent or guilty. You're immediately terrified. Oh shit! I'm screwed. Yeah, I got like an FBI agent on my case here, and he's talking to me. The FBI has trained these uh, their their agents that they're building rapport in this that in, as they sit down, dude. Only one, only only somebody who's been on the non-shiny side of the FBI FBI badge thinks them showing up is building rapport. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You know, if if you've never been in the situation of being questioned by a federal law enforcement agent who's just flashed his badge and showed you his gun, uh, if if you haven't been in that situation, you have no idea what the subject is feeling, and the agents haven't been in that situation, so they're they're thinking they're building rapport and and observing a baseline of physical responses or something and it's all total nonsense and and then in their questioning their uh they're creating cognitive load or or some such silliness and it's totally useless for a, a human intelligence um uh interaction when when you're doing when you're developing a relationship with someone that you want to that, that that your your goal is to build a relationship so that they trust you and that they will share uh secrets with you that that's that's what a, a human intelligence relationship is all about so i i had ha, having i'm sorry what's that jason i was saying so why me <laughs> so, well, well, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So that's what I took over. So it was totally broken. I took over a totally broken deception detection module. So I had to totally rebuild it in, in a in reality, in, in a reality-based, okay, here's what we do as human intelligence officers. Um, and, and here's here, here is a skill set and some knowledge that can help you in uh, trying to detect deception, which which I quickly realized you can't detect deception. You can assess credibility and and make and make a good or a bad assessment, and you can build skills and knowledge that helps you to assess credibility. So as I rebuilt this module, one of the my, and and I'm an instructional designer also, so I I think like and facilitator. So I think like an instructional designer, which is we're looking for learning objectives, and then we create, um, we, we create, uh, um, we you, you introduce the concepts, and then you create experiences that allow your learners to practice the skills and concepts, and then they practice them again, and then they're evaluated and they get feedback. So I was 
looking for different ways of introducing the concepts of deception detection. And I was doing a lot of research and looking at case studies. And I, I had known of, of your case, Jason, of your experience at the Times. And I, it, it suddenly hit me. Wow, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be eye-opening and mind-blowing, really, for people who are trying to assess credibility or detect deception to hear from a, a, someone who has practiced deception? Absolutely. Who has and carefully had the other job of sussing it out. So. Having been on exactly. both sides of it, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, so you're you're not only a not only a, a great case study of a successful practitioner of deception, but you now, as you, ha having gone through the experience that you went through of uh, of being exposed, being found out, and then developing building on that personally building your personal make, making making lemonade out of the lemons that you had uh you, you now have this unique insight into this whole um th this whole idea of, of of being deceptive and how that might be uh how that deception might be detected and how someone could have or should have assessed your credibility when you were uh when, when you were fabricating the stories that you fabricated that was my idea long story short didn't work out there's too many too many bureaucratic hurdles, uh, hurdles. all kinds of mm -hmm. things but mm -hmm. but so so that that's that's what drove my uh I, I reached out to you we we got in contact and we started getting together and me and you had had a lot of great ideas to work on that project, but it never came to fruition. Well, because, you know, an interesting thing during that time for me, after the times, obviously I had a lot of time on my hands, had a lot of, you know, mental health rehab to do, but it was in the heart of the war on terror and the run-up to the Iraq war, uh, all sorts of, well, not the run-up, it was actually the aftermath as we were starting to find out more about it. So I had a lot of time to read and pay attention to things and you eventually had things like the coast bombing that happened much later in Afghanistan. In each of these stories, I kept on noticing this common thread, and I don't think it was just the CIA. Applied to the FBI, applied to the DIA, it applied to others. Um, of things that felt for me like obviously things that should have been assessed more, or like clearly no one spent any time thinking about this person's motives or they were being too rosy or too optimistic, or they were relying on like ancient techniques. Like, you know, and I had clients at the time who were working for contractors for the agency, and they were being sent off to these like lie to me courses where they were supposed to pay attention to micro expressions and things like that. And I just thought to myself, like, if this is how we're making policy decisions, like, we are in trouble. Because yeah, so, so I, yeah. I, I, I didn't get deeper into that, but yeah, that was another thing I found when I was uh, uh, taking over that uh, deception detection module is the the government was paying for these Paul Ekman. Uh, it's a scam. The whole micro expressions thing is a total scam. There is no zero evidence. Ekman has never detected deception using micro expressions. He's written academic articles. Uh, his, the the entire thing is based on a wrong theory of of cultural universality of uh, expressions mm -hmm. meaning the same thing in every culture and always meaning the same thing. Which is just if you've ever been immersed in another culture, you know that's total BS nonsense. But he had built this whole thing on all of these misconceptions and his own his own deception really yeah. and the government was paying and and when i took over this course they were they were paying for students to take the ekman ekman courses totally useless just a, another example of 
Well, because it doesn't really, like you're saying, take into that cultural context or the individual context. Because I've, I've had this conversation with you, I've had it with other people. But one of the things over time I've learned in interviewing people as a journalist, interviewing people as a clinician, and even in the times where people call me in to interrogate, like I'm on the board of a nonprofit and they thought their executive director was lying. And they were like, Jason's the perfect person for this. He's not a lawyer. He is very nice. He will get a baseline of what the person's behavior is and see when they operate outside of that baseline. And, you know, I was able to make an assessment. My job in that position was actually to box the person into a story so they could later look into the story. But in all of this, it was very individual. Like, I could not have walked into the room with that woman and made any assessment on my own without a ton of history of having been around her, worked with her, heard her, engaged her. So, you know, I, I, I definitely have tells when I'm lying, but I don't think you could guess what they were. Um, you know, and and I think like the individual element, same thing with my clients. Like some people tap their feet all the time. Some people stare up all the time. Some people, when they're looking me in their eyes, I know they're lying to me. But that's because I know them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, although if you do it right, that can be useful baselining someone. But that said, it's very, very difficult to 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 figure out what baseline means mm -hmm. and uh, what it is. Bottom line, what it what it boils down to is there are no reliable ways of assessing credibility or detecting deception based on any physiological signs. Yep, that is any measurement or observation of eyes, mouth, hands, legs, feet, blood pressure, breathing, heart rate, none of those can, you know, you can measure them all. And that's why they, that's why we do, because we're, you know, the, the, the American, the, the U S government especially is they want something easy and it's easy to measure stuff. Right. Exactly. I'm, yeah, and I'm that, not going to mention things in, in particular, but anything that measures physiology does not have a correlation to lying. There is yeah. no physiological measurement that correlates to lying. Well, because one of the, I mean, you know, to that point, when I say baseline, I certainly don't mean physiological because, you know, people behave different based on how much water they've had by, you know, whether they had caffeine that day, whether they went and worked out at the gym, you know, it, it's got to be a bigger picture piece of it. And like the baseline that you often talk about is you, first you have to understand the culture, right? Like that's the beginning piece of it, whether you're looking at something physical or their words or does this make sense, right? Does this credibly make sense? And I think that it's so, I think, complicated to understand other people's cultures people have a hard time understanding their own that to your point they want a simple way to do it but you know i am absolutely convinced that i could beat the polygraph in either direction like i could come in and tell you the absolute truth and blow the polygraph and i'm pretty sure of the other way around uh you know like and I've been interviewed, and when I was interviewed for my clearance, I thought the most effective approach that anyone used, because they kept on, as you can imagine with my background, sending the investigator back over and over again for more conversations. And I remember telling the guy one, I'm like, this is really good. I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to make me care about how you feel about me, and you're trying to reinforce for me that the truth matters, right? And that- Before uh, building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, it's really beautiful rapport building. Luckily, I was planning on telling you the truth anyway. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So one of our listeners asked a question about, um, it's Michael Ely, who's the host of um, his own recent YouTube uh, legal roundup called Just Legal History, which I recommend to everybody. Um, he had a question about your thoughts about the read technique, which is the method 
um, that is very sort of common in law enforcement of putting high pressure on an interviewee, followed by offers of sympathy, then understanding, and then help. Some people have argued it's led to self, you know, uh, it's led to some wrongful confessions and other problems like that. But it's basically that push and pull of like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of like put all the heat on you, then pull it off and make, uh, make uh, me your small window to get out of this heat that I'm causing for you. I always thought it kind of fits within what you said before in the sense that there's already enough pressure when you're being interrogated just by the fact that you're being interrogated. No need to turn it up. Any thoughts on that for you, Kent? Oh, oh, absolutely. The, 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 the traditional, whether it's read technique or there's the, the sort of traditional police law enforcement uh, interrogation methodology has resulted in many, many, many false confessions. You, you get somebody in a, an interrogation room, they may be chained to the floor. You know, the, the, the intel community used the same kind of techniques uh, uh, in, when, when they had, uh, d- during the war on terror, when they had uh, interrogation facilities around the world. But you, you're, you have somebody in custody. The door is locked. The, the interviewer is sitting there with guns. You've got cameras on them. You, as the subject, know that you're in trouble. These people uh, may or may not throw me in jail tonight, or maybe they just pulled me out of jail to have this conversation mm-hmm. where they're building rapport <laughs> and and building a baseline. I I might be chained to the floor. I might be handcuffed. I might be. Uh, handcuffed uh, to, the to, table. The wall, wow. to the table, and the so so it's total control. You have you have the the interrogator has total control, has control over your life and and your future from this moment for the rest of your life, and they can the 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 traditional techniques, re, including read, uh, use that control to manipulate the subject. So it's a, you're, you're manipulating a totally powerless person and the, the techniques, you know, they, they, they talk about building rapport, observing a baseline. It's all, that's nonsense. You can't build rapport with somebody who's naked, chained to the subject, right? Like, well, what, what is the baseline of somebody who's, you just pulled him out of prison, took a bag off his head, Chained him to the floor, and and what 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 does the baseline even mean? It, right. It's 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 ridiculous. That's the beginning of it. As as you go through the technique, your it's threats. It's dude, we know you did it. You did it. Just tell the truth. Tell me how you killed her. Mm-hmm. And and as that, people's that, anxiety goes up, they'll do anything to get it to stop. So they'll they'll tell you whatever it takes to get it to stop. It goes hours and hours and hours. I, I've I've looked at so many case studies of this with and and it's very effective on inexperienced people, mentally challenged people, and kids. So you you know uh, you know any inexperienced, but especially kids. I mean, there's like cases of thirteen year old kids confessing to mass murder of their family when you know 10 years later dna or something exonerates them but you have the, you look at the interrogations you look and they confess they confess and tell them they tell the, the cops whatever it is they want to know after mentally ill kids and what was the third in inexperienced people in people who you know it doesn't work on uh criminals uh, intelligence officers, ex- uh, experienced, uh, especially foreign intelligence officers, uh, you know, Russians, Chinese, Cubans, that kind of thing. Uh, they, they have, they're, they're trained to deal with this. They, they can, they don't care about, they, they, they're laughing at these, at these silly techniques. Uh, there, there's case studies, the, uh, East Germans, the Cubans, both, uh, intelligence off the, that the, the CIA had had to stable 
dozens of them. Every single one was bad. So mm-hmm. all it, they, they, I, I doubt if the read technique was used on them, but they used physiological deception detection, and they had all been they'd all passed these these uh, deception detection uh, yeah. uh, tests. But yeah, the the read technique or and any other really what it's what what's custodial custodial interrogations are extremely coercive and not not a good way to uh to to get at the truth i what think they think? have I, I know especially the europe has they have a new technique and i'm not familiar with names can't tell you off the top of my head but they've made it uh, the read technique and coercive interrogations illegal they can't use them mm. so they have uh, approaches that are more like my approach of Assessing credibility, building a, a holistic picture of, uh, of 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 the subject and, and understanding what's going on. Peace. That's it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's and and it's it's less less or not coercive. I'm not totally familiar with it, but yeah. Yeah. Well, technique is I, terrible. Terror. It, it's unethical and should be illegal. As a journalist, we did not have the opportunity to uh, put handcuffs on people, <clears throat> although I'm sure many people wanted to put handcuffs on us. <laughs> but, um, you know, what What I always found was, you know, usually the best way to get people talking is to create sort of like a safe space for them. Doesn't mean that the person isn't going to lie to you. So you also have to look at what is this person's motive? So I've got to interpret whatever they're saying through whatever their motive is or whatever I can discern about their motive to talk to me. But I've always found when you get people to the point where they forget they're being interviewed, you have a much better chance. And in a custodial situation, it's really hard to ever get to that, get to that. Uh, point. So what you're describing is a conversation. Yes. That's uh, to, to, to elicit and gather details. Um, my approach, holistic contextual credibility assessment uh, is all about, Gathering details, gathering facts, fact, under, but you have to understand the context that these facts and, and the subject is working in. If you don't understand the context, you have no, uh, no, no ability to, to, to assess what you're gathering. And in these conversations, you're gathering details, you're gathering facts that you can Think of really Sherlock Holmes, if you're familiar with his approach from all the movies and and, and stories, uh, is is very much applying a uh, holistic uh, contextual uh, approach to assessing credibility. The only thing that's that's really unreal about the Sherlock Holmes approach is he is he is an expert in every context that he stumbles into right correct correct (laughs) which is very difficult to be uh and and that's part of my hcca is we practitioners have to self-assess and realize the context that Mm. we are competent or not competent in yeah and and by i mean essentially the idea being if you are going to interrogate people if you are going to assess their credibility like being self-aware, knowing what your potential blind spots in that conversation are, even being able to say, hey, maybe I'm not the right one for this one, or we're going to be limited by this. I can do it for you, but we're going to have to make these assumptions or whatever it may be. Better to to find someone who is competent. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, if yes, if you can't find someone who's competent in that context, then going into it knowing that you're not competent what you have to do is to study up and try to become competent in the context the the easiest way to to visualize this and to think about it is cultural contexts that is any kind of uh, physiological measurement that uh, that is claimed to work anywhere in any culture is total nonsense. It ain't going to work. But a holistic contextual approach doesn't work either. If you're an American who grew up uh, in Vermont 
And now you have gotten, you know, you're, you're a cop or you're an intelligence officer and you still, your only competence that you have is, uh, it, uh, cultural competence is, uh, Vermont. Now you suddenly are dropped into Yemen. Yeah. It's not going to work in Miami, much less Yemen. Or exactly. So, so I'm, I, I, I want to start with the, the country, uh, culture. You know, you're, you're, that, that's very obvious. You go from Vermont into Yemen and you have no idea what these guys, even if, even if there's not a, a, a language barrier, you say you speak their language or they speak your language, you still do not understand the context, the, the culture. Much and, and what, once you grasp that, then you can make the 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 uh, analogy to subcultures within the U.S. That guy from Vermont is not going to be able to drop into New Orleans and uh, have a conversation and with any and, and be able to assess with any accuracy uh, the the facts that he gathers there. That makes complete sense. Do you see? everyday application for these kinds of approaches in people's day-to-day lives. Like, you know, I think to myself, like, let's take me as an example, baseline. I'm fairly naive. I will let anybody in. I, uh, I'm the last, you know, my friends are like the first people to be like, I just met that person. They're a bad person. A year from now, you're going to know. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, I'm good once I get a clue. Once I get a scent and once I can go after things. So for, you know, for those of us who are sort of like thinking about it within our own context, where we have the upside of both being experts and blinded by what's in front of us, are there things that we can use, like with its, whether it's spouse, kids, dog, whatever it is we're, we're trying to assess, our bosses, our company, you know? Uh, I, I, I guess probably the 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 best if you're asking for my advice uh my advice probably the most valuable would be first you gotta turn off all of these charlatans who are bombarding our culture our popular culture with uh six ways to tell if if they're lying first they're looking to the right and they're crossing their legs and they make eye contact or don't make eye contact or look for the micro expressions. That's, that is, I, I, I would guess that for the normal person, that is the biggest hurdle to being able to assess credibility. You're constantly bombarded with these, uh, with, with these, uh, Techniques that that don't work. No, there's no physiological signs that show people are lying. So that's the first first step you got to make is ignore all of that. If you're able to do that, and if you're able to wipe your mind clean of that idea that you should be looking for something uh, in the physiology, if you're able to do that, then the next step is to think like Sherlock Holmes, gather have conversations, gather details, gather facts, assess logically. And one other thing I, I didn't mention is so there, there's logic and there's also intuition. Intuition plays a huge role. <laughs> yeah. uh, somebody said I blinked three times, so I might be lying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There, no, no, there's no there, there are no blinking. There's no licking your lips. None, none of that means anything. So, so use your logic. Gather facts and details and, and use logic to assess them. But also, if you are competent in the context you're dealing in, listen to your gut. Listen to intuition. Your intuition is just a subconscious summary of the whole of your experience in in this context it's in your your brain is working your mind is working in the background even though you're not aware yeah, of it and suddenly something pops up people often think that like intuition is not based on anything and i once had this uh i forget whether it was was it a psychiatrist or neuro neurologist it was a psychiatrist explain it to me like this i thought 
It's like when you meet a new person for the first time and they walk through the door, your body, your mind is analyzing a million things about them so fast that you cannot even possibly process them. And that is what your intuition is. It is exactly. working on subjective and objective evidence. Just so. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And and again, though, you've got to be competent in the context, the cultural context that that uh, encounter is occurring in. If you've got your kid from Vermont in Yemen, a Yemeni tribesman walks in. If I'm I'm competent in in Yemen, the Yemeni context, I can tell the thobe he's wearing tells me uh, what tribe he's from. I can tell by the length of his robe what his religious outlook is. I can tell by whether he's carrying a prayer beads. Uh, if he, you, you look at uh, stains around his mouth to see if he chews chat. There's so many things that the Vermont kid has no clue. He looks at the guy and goes, oh yeah, it's an Arab. Oh my God, he's going to blow us up. You know, because he's incompetent. He right. has no competence in that context. So his intuition means nothing. It is worse than nothing. It is dangerous. And, and uh, no matter what his gut tells him, it's, got, it's not going to be right. And, and and if he is sort of right, then he he's missing a huge chunk of it. Intuition is a powerful and useful, but you got to realize uh, it's it's, it's a piece of the holistic contextual approach. Yep. And it's and if you don't have uh, experience or expertise in the context in which you're working, your intuition is worse than useless. It's going to be dangerous, right? Even more dangerous. dangerous. And that's why you should yeah, either for you or for the subject. Yep. I was thinking about the credibility assessment piece of it in the book. And I was just thinking more broadly, like whether it's the conversation we were having before about false confessions or people like Curveball, who was this uh, spy that they had in Europe, or no, no, Asset that was in Europe who, um, who fed information to the US and British government about weapons of mass destruction that ended up being false because he wanted asylum. Or you think about things like the coast bombing where a bunch of uh, CIA officers and contractors, including one that we knew, were killed, not we, as in me and Bonnie, knew, you know, were killed. A lot of it comes down to, and this is probably true about corporate espionage and assortment of other things, or broken marriages. Um, not really being able to assess the credibility of what's in front of you. And I'm just curious, like, what are some of the consequences, big and small, if we don't start thinking about it in a different way? Well, actually, Coast is, uh, I I include in this book uh, Mm. several case studies of the consequences of government's approach to detecting deception. And Coast is the shining example of that. The the asset in Coast, the the recruited asset in Coast, that everybody this is this is the highest speed, most important penetration of Al Qaeda. This we're this is kick ass. This is badass human intelligence. So, so that's that was all part of their the the assessment of him, the vetting of him was that he was he did did have. High level connections uh, in, in uh, had access to 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 management, uh, if you will, of, of Al Qaeda and other groups. But but the bottom line is that and the, the point that I make in my book and when we talk about this as a case study of abysmal failure of credibility assessment cases, hu- cases, human Asset cases do not get more high level than this guy. So you would think that a uh, intelligence agency would use the best possible vetting and credibility assessment approaches for somebody like this, and they did. They used what they had that that they think is 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 the best, and but. 
you know, they haven't learned over decades and decades of failures that that approach doesn't work. And Post, again, shows the bottom line for those who don't know that the asset was from the first day he met with the CIA at double agent. He was working directly for uh, Al Qaeda and terrorist organizations before and and his goal was to kill CIA officers as many as possible before he went to the meeting in which he he wore a uh, suicide vest and killed seven CIA officers and a variety of other people as well uh, he before he went to that meeting on his way he recorded a a, a video his last will and testament. And he he explained why he was doing what he did and what the agency had done uh, in, in recruiting him. And he talked about they paid me millions of dollars. I sp and, and he says, I spit on your money. You, you think that I'm motivated by, by money. I have no interest in your money. Total failure of understanding the context, this guy's context. And the one interesting thing I always found out about that story when you had, you know, made that those points to me about context, that the two people who really got freaked out at the last moment, who both ended up dead, were the guy who's a former Navy SEAL who was not a CIA officer and was a security contractor and a former Green Beret. Their alarms went up because the story didn't make sense. Them all grouping themselves together to greet him with a cake did not make sense. Like everything to them, to your point about intuition was saying, this does not feel right. And so those guys, they, their gut is, is so they, they, uh, their career has been based on being in dangerous situations and being able to feel what, when it's going bad. So that's their contextual competence. So they and, and may, they may have some cultural competence too, a little less likely, but but they they likely have some contextual competence, especially the the special forces guys. But they their gut told them this ain't right. This Something's ain't right, man. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that these aren't the only failures that have occurred between 1960 and and today and 2010 or 2024. Yeah. So, so I, I had, you know, when I talk about what, um, uh, what's required to do this job, right. A lot of it is looking at why I, I was good at it <laughs> and, and I was good at it because I had street sense because I'd been on the street. I'd been running from the cops. I'd been caught by the cops. <laughs> I, I, I'd been, I, I was used to playing roles. I was mm -hmm. used to changing uh, character, sort of changing <laughs> characters. I was used to kind of the shady side of the street. I didn't spend a lot of time doing that, but it was enough years that, uh, you know, by the time I joined the military when I was 20, uh, if, if I hadn't joined the military, I'd have been either dead or in prison within a couple of years. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I learned, I, I, I saw the light and said, dude, you can do better than this. And I joined the military and, and changed my life. But those, those year, few years of developing the street sense um, really are very value, were very valuable in my job. And um, I, my, I, in the military, I was, I was a linguist and I spent time overseas and I developed the ability to immerse myself in a culture and become competent in that culture pretty quickly. Uh, that again was because of my, uh, my my street sense and my ability to talk to anybody and deal with any situation that I had developed by being on the sort of shady side of life for a few years, which made me very very uh, effective once I was in my job. But I think that it's also a threat. To the bureau bureaucracy, because hmm. when there are very few people like that, uh, with that kind of background, mm -hmm. um, they it's outside the mold, right? There's not outside the mold and and effective. 
And when others uh, see that effectiveness and they're not able to achieve that, it's like they sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, the bureaucracy spits you out. You don't you don't fit. And did you you came back after 9-11? Is that right? Do I have that right? Do I remember that right? Was it after 9-11? When 9-11 happened, now there was a clear mission and I was ready to use my skills. And I knew that there would be a, 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 a shorter or longer period where the bureaucracy didn't really matter. It was going to be the mission that mattered. And that's what happened after 9-11. Probably about five years, maybe even a little shorter but made three or four years where all that mattered was the mission. And that was fantastic. So I went back as a contractor and uh, uh, worked around the world doing counterterrorism contracting work. Tell the story of, uh, you know, post you leaving the agency and ending up out on your own. And I don't know if I ever told you about it. I don't think we had talked about Wayne Simmons, but we hadn't been in touch in a while. And one day I picked up the New York Times, my good old favorite newspaper, truly stole my favorite newspaper. <laughs> and I'm like, why is there a giant picture of Kent looking into the sky on this front page article? And so then I found the story of Wayne Simmons. I was like, wow, he's really outdone himself this time. <laughs> yeah. And what we talked about into play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so Wayne Simmons was a commentator on Fox News. Uh, he was for 13 years. They they featured him as one of their main commentators on the CIA counter uh, counterterrorism uh, and, and related kind of subjects. He they they featured him as a former. Uh, CIA operations officer, and uh, and he would opine in great depth and detail on any issue that came up. And he was voluble, loud. He was uh, he he had very uh, his opinions were very much in sync with the neoconservative sort of Fox News uh, angles. And he was everywhere all the time. I didn't have cable TV and I didn't uh, I I had never seen him. Uh, But I I found this out later. Uh, Mm. A friend of mine, a mutual friend who who knew Simmons and knew me said, hey, Kent, you you really got to meet Wayne. You two are so much alike. You know, you have both the same background. Uh, Yeah, he's a great guy. And he's got all kinds of stuff going on. And Maybe you can do business with them or something. So he set up a uh, set up a, a lunch uh, mm. with us three, and um, so I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I I went to went to the lunch, sat down, shook his hand, and within three to five minutes, I knew this dude is full of shit. Huh. He well, is well. So if if you if you think of it in terms of holistic contextual credibility assessment, it's the context. I mean, I'm I, an expert. I remember sitting down with a guy once and he said, he said he was from what I call the NSA and he referred to it as the NSA in the conversation. And I was like, no, everybody who's there calls it NSA without the the in it. And I instantly knew like this guy's full of shit or he's tangentially connected to it. Because he's not, he's speaking the way I would talk about it, not the way that somebody on the inside would. So. And, and that's, con- you had contextual knowledge there. Yep. You had, yep. and, and same thing. I have contextual knowledge of being a CIA counterterrorism case officer. And uh, he, nothing he said made sense. Nothing he said, everything. All of the, he started telling stories about his operations and the the unit he worked for and uh, taking taking down ninety million dollars of coke in Miami and you know blah blah you, yeah me and you know about that don't we Kent you were like wrong country buddy <laughs> it's a, you know, and 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 anything else he said nothing uh, in, in the con 
my contextual uh, expertise told me there is nothing this guy is talking about that's real. I didn't tell him that, and I didn't tell huh? Oh, yeah, I was going to, that's exactly what I was going to ask. Did you? Yeah, so I I didn't mention that to him, and I didn't mention it to my buddy, but I walked out of there saying, I'm going to find out who the hell you are, and I'm going to expose you. Uh, well, actually, always, I didn't walk out of there saying I'm going to expose you. I walked out of there saying, "You ain't going to blow smoke up my butt, buddy." Because the only thing that pisses me off in the world nowadays is somebody trying to uh, somebody trying to, to to play me for a fool. Mm. You lie to me, okay, but don't play me for a fool. And this is playing me for a fool. He thought mm. he can totally totally blow smoke up my butt, and I'm going to walk away smiling. Yeah. I'm gonna do business with you. Because you're on, you're on. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) It's always one of the things that I wondered about with the case. I've been reading about it. Like, you're not the only person from the CIA who is watching. You know, there are plenty of people watching Wayne Simmons on TV. Fox News is on in the place all the time. Um, Exactly. So, what? I mean, they had to also notice. This sounds like it makes no sense. Or some uh, well, so so that that's another case study in my book is Wayne Simmons is mm-hmm. why was it me? So so why I left there and I began vetting him. I began you know figuring out you know what the hell, what the hell is this unit he's talking about? He worked for what the things is it is it something that I'm just totally out of the loop on? And I, I started gathering more details, doing a holistic uh, look at him. And I found out that many ex-agency people knew him, knew of him, but none of them were willing to say, and this, but he's a fraud, he's fake. Some of them would say, yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't know uh, about the stuff he was talking about. But, you know, a lot of times that happens. Um, you know, we're, we work in different silos and we, yeah. we may not be totally aware. And that's absolutely right. But still... You, you can tell when someone, uh, it, it, I, I can tell because of, I, I apply holistic contextual credibility assessment. I can tell. All I can say, Jason, is host Cuba and the East Germans. Those happen. They're total failures uh, of, uh, of, uh, of the bureaucracy, of the organization. They happened. Simmons happened. That's a total failure of the bureaucracy. And why? I don't know. All I know is that my approach, HCCA, works. And whatever approach they're using. I mean, I get your your point. It's so much about context. Like if somebody tells me that they grew up in a city that I grew up in and they start saying certain things, instantly it resonates, right? Like, oh, yeah, this thing, that thing, or culturally, or this place, or whatever it is. Somebody comes up to me and says, "Hey, I, you know, I w- I used to be a mental health professional. What'd you do?" They start describing their job, and I'm like, "Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> sound like mental health anywhere other than Cuba or Canada." But <laughs> yeah. so, so so what 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 happens is what what I believe happens is that the uh, the the agency doesn't use and doesn't appreciate. HCCA, they use and have been duped by these physiological practitioners like um, uh, uh, the microexpressions guy, anybody that's measuring body, anything about the body to detect deception. That's that's the, 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 the organizational way to detect deception. And what that does is it Deleg- not not delegitimizes, but it, it 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 takes away from what the approach I use, which is yeah. totally based on me. I am the, de- the 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 machine that detects deception, that assesses credibility, and the the system that created Coast East Germany and Cuba has taken that away from the individual case officers and. Put the um, the the the, the power yeah. to the physiological measurement people. 
And what that does is the the human assessors say, you know, it doesn't matter what I do or say. It's all going to go to the physiological mm-hmm. guys. So it's like you have a muscle that you never use. It's going to atrophy. So that's why all of these people have atrophied credibility assessment muscles, all of the ex-agency people, that all the people that ran across him and saw him and didn't call him out to be as a fraud. It's because their credibility assessment muscle is atrophied. Yeah. I I get it. Yeah, no, no, no. It makes complete sense to me. Or they never had it, right? Or they, or never. they never. They well, it it no, it's never developed because you don't have to. So Michael's, and then we can wrap up. Michael's asking a question about any chance machine learning could figure things out, things like AI and other aspects. I mean, my off the gate is if you look at Chat GPT four, if you look at a lot of the other um, tools that use AI, and even some other forms of machine learning that come in, I think the toughest things that they struggle with are exactly what you're saying, which is putting things in. AI or machine learning learning is doing is taking is, is it's all based on, uh, I, I forget the exact terminology, but it's based on huge databases of stuff that people have written. And it's language models. It's word association. Yeah. Yeah. Or language models, what it's called. And all that means is, is a huge database of things that people have written. So it's it's scanning through there and figuring out what is what what's the word that comes next, what's the con- in this context using massive computing power. If you use machine if you use these large language models to try to assess credibility, it's going to go out and find Ekman's stuff. And it's going to say, and it's going to find uh, natural language programming stuff, and it's going to find read oh, technique no, stuff. Yeah. And so garbage in, garbage out. Right. There's no artificial artificial intelligence uh, that, that can detect deception. And, and that's a, a, a great point here is that there are companies that are blogging, selling this artificial intelligence facial analysis and it's all based on ekman stuff that it's supposedly you know they they somebody in the eu has come up with a, a, an airport uh, deception detection tool that's based on ai and that it scans the face and is looking for micro expressions totally useless to- yep. totally useless it's been it doesn't work and uh, i can give you i can give you an example from my real life these uh researchers can remember they're in north carolina texas somewhere south of me right now but they they did this analysis with their students of all of my writing so everything i published in the new york times whether it's solid whether it included fabrication plagiarism and they they found this pattern in my writing and at first i was like bs you're wrong but they said a couple things. I would become less specific and more vague in my writing and more tentative in my writing. So humans did this and they did an analysis. And eventually they're going to see, can we extrapolate this to other instances of this? But this is just Jason, right? And then they tried to have AI do the same kind of analysis. And it was a hot, throwing, incorrect mess where it identified stories that were perfectly fine as must be fabricated and ones that were just totally off the mark incorrectly. And that's what we have right now. But there are some limited spaces where like AI is really helpful. Code breaking, right? Trying to break codes like NSA has been doing it forever. It's not great at assessing humans. Humans, humans, yeah. you can't. Uh, you know, if they're uh, trying to put because AI code breaking on is it assessing itself. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Trying yeah. to put AI on this problem is the the and the the problem is human, uh, human behavior, human communications is the only way that could possibly work is if there are, if looking to the right does actually means you're lying. 
if there was a micro expression that means something, but there aren't. <laughs> there, are, there are no physiological signals that uh, that, that that indicate deception um, generically and across. Better, no better than flipping a coin. You can flip a coin in any case, and you'll get this. Uh, just as likely to get the right answer as you are using any other approach. So, no AI ain't gonna work. I'm gonna. If there aren't any other questions, I'm gonna throw it to you. Oh wait, um, hold on, just attempt to catch that. Yeah, no, no, no. I see exactly. It, one of the things Michael was just pointing out is machine learning is trying to trying to address that challenge i'm just i'm just highly skeptical of its ability to catch up in my lifetime or possibly any lifetime unless foundationally it moves away from uh using things like lang language models or to your point garbage in garbage out problem um so but I wanted to throw it to you, Kent, to see if there anything, any closing advice you have for people, any thoughts you have for the future, what you're doing for Valentine's Day with your lovely wife, whatever you want. And she really is a lovely person. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate that. Say hi to her for me. She, I will do. She is, she's the uh, foundation of my success. <laughs> but without her, I wouldn't be where I am. Yeah. Uh, and and. Funnily enough, uh, we met on Valentine's Day. Did you really? Four, yeah, probably forty years ago. Have you guys been overseas, right? Or no, you, no, we went to school together school at Southern right. Illinois University. Illinois. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess well, kind, happy kind of wrap it up. Day forty years. You better go check to find out yeah. whether it's the forty like, years. Like I said, I, I I know, like I have like a ten year window where I'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> you will have some work to do. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I pay for it. <laughs> I mean, I, I I guess that kind of our, the theme of what we're we're talking about here is that. Uh, it's the, the the human interactions that's the human side is the most important piece of it's it's what my specialty is and in now that I do corporate counterintelligence I my specialty is the human side it's helping companies to understand that it's their humans are both their greatest strength and their greatest weakness if you don't empower them and you don't train them, uh, then they can be your greatest weakness. If they're empowered and trained, then they become naturally intelligent sensors that can observe the environment, report back into the system, and uh, and we can develop a picture of what's happening and counter any potential threats. More than 90% of data breaches are caused by, or, or have, go back to a human. There's a human cause. Uh, the, the typical loss of data in a company is not uh, a hacker sitting in Romania typing code to get into your system. It's somebody manipulating your humans. Maybe it is a, a hacker in Romania, but he's manipulating your humans by getting on a dating website, by, uh, by uh, meeting them on LinkedIn, by sending them an email. But it's the human side that's the key. And there's no shortcuts. There's no, no physiological. There's no thermometer that you can stick in somebody's ear and tell if someone is lying or not. You have to. Be, you have to understand the context that they're that they're living and working in, and you have to look at the whole picture, a holistic approach. Because when uh, yeah, when you when you say that, like part of what it makes me think of is that we spend a lot of time, whether it's in like interrogations or assessing credibility, doing a lot of like talking and trying these different tricks and approaches. But in reality, we should probably do a little bit more watching and listening and paying attention to things as opposed to trying to kind of force our way to answer. Hey. 
Yeah, that's a good way. I, I never never really thought about it like that. But when I when I do those things, uh, when when I'm gathering information, gathering details, gathering data, interviewing, debriefing, what you just described is how I do it. It's uh, you know in, instead of instead of looking at which way his legs are crossed or you know what is the baseline uh, of his uh, eye movements, I'm initiating conversations, I'm listening, I'm processing, I follow up, I, uh, I, I summarize, I uh, elicit, I, I guide, but yeah, it's, it's all about human interaction and there's no, no real technical trick to it except interacting with human humans a lot, <laughs> right? And well, yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Kent, thank you so much, man, per usual. Um, we're going to let those of you guys who are on the chat go. Thank you for coming. Appreciate it. And, you know, hopefully we'll see some of you guys next week with uh, Julia. And hopefully for those of you guys who are interested, this is Kent's book. Um, it's kind of cool. I got a chance to, I haven't read it since it's published, but I got a chance to read it and it's early versions and i am excited about uh him putting all these ideas that we've been talking about for years that i you know at least in my experience as a journalist as my experience as somebody who's deceived people in my experience as somebody who's worked in mental health they're really spot on in terms of uh you know being able to assess what's credible and what's not so all right thanks jason see you guys be good thanks everybody if you want to join us for more discussions with us and other listeners, we can be found on most social media platforms, including a listener-run Facebook group called the Silver Linings Fireside Chat. For deeper conversations with our guests and live conversations with other listeners, you can also join us on our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash the Silver Linings Handbook.